0: sermon series, Deconstructing Faith. And what we're doing is we're taking a look at our faith. We're taking a look at religion and we're trying to deconstruct it in a healthy way. There's a modern trend going around of deconstructing faith, but it has some unhealthy principles and unhealthy um, patterns. And so what we're trying to do here is establish some healthy patterns and some healthy ways we can deconstruct our faith and take a look at the Bible and try to then build our faith off of what the Bible tells us it should look like. Because in modern Christianity and in American Christianity, there's a lot of things culturally culturally that we do that we call the church that isn't necessarily biblical. And there's a lot of things that we don't do that the biblical church did do. And so in the last few weeks, we've done things from deconstructing worship, what worship should look like. Um, we've de- deconstructed community, what community should look like. Um, we've deconstructed... Um, important topics about our faith and what what we should build our uh, relationship with Christ and how it should look biblically. And so if you guys haven't, or if you guys haven't been here, um, like I said, we have a podcast, search Shatter State Chi Alpha. You can go back and listen to those sermons, but you're not missing out as far as this sermon is its own standalone sermon. Um, so don't feel like you're missing any important information as far as this one is concerned. But what we're going to do today kind of is the, the culmination of the last five weeks worth of deconstructing our faith and taking a step back and looking at what it should look like. And we're going to ask ourselves, who really is Jesus? Who really is Jesus of the Bible? And is the Jesus that I worship the right Jesus? Because you can worship somebody that you claim is Jesus, but if it's not Jesus of the Bible, you're either worshiping yourself or you're worshiping your cultural version of Jesus. And we want to make sure that we're actually worshiping the God, Jesus. And so that's kind of our goal today. And what we're going to do is take a step back and we're going to look at who was Jesus historically. We're going to look at who Jesus is to us. And then we're going to look at what the biblical model of Jesus is and who Jesus was within Scripture. (laughs) Calm down, you're ruining my flow, bro. We've got a long ways to go. By a show of hands, how many of you guys know who Peyton Manning is? I would hope a lot of you. I mean, we are in Denver Bronco country right here. If you don't know who, Dem- or who uh, Peyton Manning is, he's regarded as one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time. He had 539 passing touchdowns, 71,940 passing yards, 14 Pro Bowls in 18 seasons. He's one of my favorite players of all time, and I know quite a bit about him, and I even have his autograph in my office. Um, from when he won the Super Bowl. It's one of my uh, prized possessions because my wife gave it to me for Christmas. And so knowing all that I know about G, Je- or not Jesus, knowing all that I know about Peyton Manning, he's the football Jesus, I guess, but talk about worshiping around Jesus. Um, everything I know about Peyton Manning, if I ran up to Peyton Manning in a crowding crowded room and I gave him a big old bear hug, do you think he would be as excited to see me as I am to see him? Probably not. Uh, most likely, the only thing he would be excited about is seeing his bodyguards throw me in like a stunner, take me out, throw me outside. He might be a little excited about that. I'd be like peeing my pants. I'd be excited enough seeing him. But he wouldn't share that same excitement. And so our goal tonight is I want to make sure that when you get a chance to see Jesus, it's not that same reaction. I want to make sure that when you get a chance to see Jesus, that you have built a relationship with Him. Because as Matthew 7 says, if we can build up this information, we can know a lot about Jesus. We can know everything about Him. We can know that He's the Messiah. We can know that He's our Savior. We can know that He's King. But if we don't have a relationship with Him, Matthew 7 says that He'll say, get away from me, I never knew you. And Revelations 3 will say, He will spit you out of His mouth. And so my job as a pastor is, I need to make sure That those of you guys in here, those of you guys who come to hear me speak on a Tuesday night, when you get to heaven, you have built a relationship with Jesus. And so tonight, again, that's our goal. I want to make sure that you're worshiping the right Jesus and that you have put forward the effort to build and to start to build an actual relationship with Jesus of the Bible. And so tonight we're going to look at a little bit historical of Jesus. And I want you to take a second and just take a split second maybe 10 seconds. And I want you to answer within your own brain who Jesus is to you. All right, now hold on to that. So throughout all of this, throughout all of my words, hold on to that. Cuz your first reactions, your first instincts as to who Jesus is—the first instincts that you have—typically have a lot of weight, and so hold on to that throughout this whole sermon. So we're going to look at historical Jesus. When Jesus walked the earth, the or when Jesus walked the earth, the people that of the ugh, sorry, the Jews of that time believed a lot of the same things that modern-day people believed about Jesus, both good and bad. Some of them believed the same thing that modern Christians believe. Some of them believed along the same things as the the Jews believed. And so I want to take a look at a couple of those things. Um, Some of those people believe that Jesus was a great teacher. I have a sibling that believes that Jesus is a great teacher, but that is all that he is to him. He was just a good teacher. Some believe that he was merely a prophet like his cousin John the Baptist, that he could perform those miracles because he was a prophet, but that he wasn't necessarily the Messiah. Some believed he was a radical cult leader, a religious zealot. Some believed that he was a crazed madman, nothing more. Some believed he was absolutely revolutionary and that he had come to lead an actual, literal, real-world revolt against Rome. Some believed he came to earth to be king and that he was going to establish Israel as the greatest kingdom on earth during his time. Some said that he just was deliberately evil. We see that even today. We see people that truly believe that Jesus was evil. So then, who is Jesus? Who was Jesus? Because if we look at the historical context, and we can look at what people have said about him, we can start to build an image of who Jesus is. Again, historically, I can say with a lot of confidence that Jesus is probably the most famous person who has ever walked the earth. Whether he was Messiah or not, he's famous. He's famous. Whether he actually was God or not, he's pretty famous. And I can also say on that same note that he's the most controversial person who has ever walked earth. Because of that battle of, was he who he said he was? Philosophers have obsessed over him for thousands of years. Historians have obsessed over him for thousands of years. And we know for the religious Jews 2,000 years ago, the things that he claimed made them very uncomfortable. And I would venture to say that because of the things that Jesus claimed, He is either what He said He was, or He was absolutely mad and insane. And I really don't feel like there can be a mixture of both. I don't think that Jesus could have been merely a good teacher. Because I don't know about you, but how many of your good teachers claimed they were God? How many of your good teachers claimed that they were the Messiah? How many of your good, te- teachers, or your good teachers claimed that they would tear down the church and rebuild it? Jesus couldn't have been merely a good teacher. He couldn't have merely been a mixture of both. And, and somewhere we come out of this where He was just a really good guy. He either was what He said He was, or He absolutely wasn't. And like I said, for the religious Jews 2,000 years ago, the things he said made them very uncomfortable. Because he claimed that he was God. And they went absolutely livid about that point. Now, historically and biblically, they claim that the reason that they crucified Jesus was because he claimed he was God and that he wasn't. They didn't believe that he was. But I have a problem even with that. Because just because he claimed he was God, there were many people who came before Jesus that claimed that he, they were the Messiah. There were many people who came before Jesus historically. We have records of it. People who came before Jesus that claimed that they were the Messiah, claimed that they were fulfilling the prophecies, and claimed to do everything that Jesus claimed to do. But there was one big difference between them and Jesus. The big difference is, Jesus actually did what he said he was doing. He actually did what He set out to do. Whereas those others who claimed it couldn't. They fell short. They either disappeared into obscurity or were killed, and there was nothing else there. So the reason why I feel like the religious zealots back then were so angry at Jesus was because He was doing what He actually said He was going to do. He was healing people. People were worshiping Him. They couldn't catch him. He would escape their grafts time time and time again. And so their main charges against him were he loved sinners, he healed on the Sabbath, and he claimed to be the Son of God. So historically... We can look at what happened. We can take historical records. We can take biblical records and we can compare them with the actual historical records and we can begin to piece together who Jesus was historically. But who Jesus was historically can still be debated. And so we can't build who Jesus is to us off of the historical count of Jesus because it leaves us lacking. It leaves us short. It leaves us without a big piece of the picture. And so that's where we get into the next part of who is Jesus and let's deconstruct Jesus. So I wanted to sit down and I said, okay, if we can't look at the historical factor of Jesus and prove that he was God and we can't look at the historical record and and construct who Jesus is to us based off of that, then I need to ask myself, who is Jesus to me then? And so I sat down and I was like, okay, who is Jesus to me? And I started writing. And so I wrote out, Jesus is someone who has seen the darkest parts of me, the innermost demons. Jesus knows what I've done. He knows who I am. He knows where I was heading. He knew. But yet he still called me friend. And not only that, he invited me into his family. He allowed me, allowed himself to be killed so that all of my darkest sins that I committed and would commit wouldn't be held against me. Now, as powerful as that statement is, it falls short still. And I would read it and I sat there and I read over it back and forth, back and forth. And I was wondering why something so powerful, because what I was writing is powerful stuff. The fact that Jesus knows the the deepest part of us, the biggest regrets of us, the, the, the darkest secrets that we hold, that he has those, he knows those, and he still chooses us and he still died for us is a very powerful thing. So why doesn't it feel powerful? It just didn't cut it. And what I realized was we hear that repeated over and over and over again. We hear those same things repeated and it gets to a point where it just loses its power. Because it becomes what we refer to as the Sunday school answer. The simplest answer, the quickest answer, the fastest thing that we can come up with. And so while I was writing this sermon, I sat down and I was like, you know what? I want to take a second. I don't want to come up with the Sunday school answer. And I started writing. And what I wrote came out to be another Sunday school answer. So I said, nope, I scrapped that. I deleted it. And I said, nope, we're really going to talk about who Jesus is to me. And we're going to come up with this. And I wrote again. And I mean, I spent time on this sermon. Those of you guys that have been around me for the last week, I've been talking about it. I probably spent close to 30 hours on this sermon. I took time to try to come up with who Jesus is to me. And every single answer I came up with felt like that typical Sunday school answer. Jesus died for me. He saved me. He blah, blah, blah. And for me, it just didn't cut it because it didn't get to the real. It didn't get to the raw. It didn't get to the emotional. It didn't get to the deep parts of what I want Jesus to be for me. And I began to get frustrated. and I realized if I'm going to claim Jesus is all these things that He says He is, if I'm going to claim all of these things that I tell Jesus can do, if I'm going to say that He can save us, that He can make us better, if He can do all of these things, then why can't I figure out who Jesus is to me? Why is this so hard? And so I decided I was going to sit down in my office and I wasn't going to leave it until I could come up with who is Jesus to me. And now for a guy who has a baby that's only two and a half months old that I want to spend every precious second with. This was a little bit intimidating because I knew I was going to have to dedicate some time to this. Because like I said, I spent some time on this. But I didn't want to leave my office until I could come up with a real, tangible answer as to who is Jesus to me. And so after sitting and thinking about it, scrapping pages and pages, I probably wrote 15 pages worth of stuff that I ended up deleting because it just kept coming out the same. And I realized that part of the reason why it's so hard for me to come up with who Jesus is to me is because over the years of serving Him, I have modeled myself to look like Him so much so that it became hard for me to separate who I am from who Jesus is. And I'm not saying that I'm Jesus, but I'm saying that I look up to Him as a mentor. And because I have shaped so much of who I am after Him, I'm looking like Him a little bit. Paul said, look to me as I look to Jesus. I try to emulate that same thing for you. Look to me as I look to Jesus. And so I'm trying to model my, my life after Jesus. I'm trying to be more like him every single day. And I started to realize that the parts that I love about myself are the parts that I modeled after Jesus. And the parts that I absolutely despise about myself are the parts of just pure selfishness that stay behind. So it dawned on me really quickly that in order for me to truly understand and truly convey to you guys who Jesus is to me, I had to go back to a time before I knew Jesus. Before I had modeled myself after Jesus. A point in which I didn't know Him. Now I don't think any of you guys in here knew me, old folks. I don't think you knew me before I was a Christian, did you? I really wish you could have known me before I met Jesus. I was a junior in college. And the reason I wish you could have met me before I met Jesus was because you could radically see the difference. I went to my 10-year high school reunion and literally when I told people that I was a pastor, they laughed in my face because it was so hard for them to believe. I wish you could have seen me. But since you can't, I'm going to try to do my best. So go ahead. Now you can unveil the picture you spoiled already. Jerk. So I found a few pictures. I I had to scroll, but I found some few pictures of before I was a Christian. Now the one picture I was looking for the most was a picture of my mugshot from when I was in jail. But I couldn't find that one as hard as I looked. And uh, believe it or not, I didn't save that because reasons. But these will do. Looking at these pictures, you might think, well, Tanner had hair. That's a first start. But if I'm honest, it's hard for me to look at these pictures. And I've forced myself to look at them while I've been writing this. Because in every single one of these pictures, you can see tangibly the pain behind my eyes. Every single picture I took of me before Jesus, you can see that blank look. I'm smiling, but there's nothing there. There's no joy. There's no life. And for my job, I've shared my testimony of that time in which I gave my life to Christ so many times that I have the entire thing memorized. And I can give an hour-long version of my testimony and give it from memory completely. And the problem with that is Though that's good, memorize your your testimony, share your testimony. But the reason that kind of sucks for me is that it made it harder and harder for me to remember the before Jesus. All I remembered was the story, the transition, the good. Now that's the good stuff. We want to focus on the good stuff. But tonight for me and for you guys, I really needed to take a second and I needed to remember this. I needed to remember this version of myself. But the problem is I don't want to remember this version of myself. Everything within me tries to forget this version of myself. Because I don't want to remember the pain that I was going through. I don't, remember, I don't want to remember the hardship. I don't want to remember having to drive down to Alliance because I needed to be put on medicine because I was afraid I was going to take my own life if something didn't change. I don't want to remember the feeling of being alone no matter how many people were around me. I don't want to remember what I don't. I don't want to remember wondering what I had done so wrong to deserve what was happening to me in my life. Why was I abused? Why was I bullied? I don't want to remember asking myself why I hated myself so much. I don't want to remember going to the liquor store multiple times a week in order to drink myself to sleep just so that I could calm my brain down long enough to get a full night. I don't want to remember waking up in jail to an officer knocking on my window asking if I want to make my phone call. And the biggest thing I don't want to remember is I don't want to remember the feeling of hopelessness. the feeling of loss of direction, the feeling of crying every single day, crying out to a God that I didn't even know whether He was real or not. Asking for help. Just throwing a shot in the dark, hoping that He could take these thoughts from my brain. I don't want to remember all of the fights that I used to get into in order to try to prove my worth. I tried so hard to fit in. And even though looking back, I had friends, I had grades, I had sports. I was able to go play D1 football after college, or after high school. I had all of these things. My life should have been perfect. I literally was living my dream, and yet I was miserable through all of that. A couple of these pictures are from when I was playing college football. There was no joy. And what it comes down to is, I guess the last one was, I didn't want to remember why those who were supposed to be there for me and love me were the very ones who were hurting me. And as I stand before you, it's, it's still hard for me because I don't, I don't want to remember this. I don't want to remember those feelings. But while I was writing this sermon and while I decided to look back at myself pre-Jesus, it reminded me of some very important things. It reminded me that these things are worth remembering. I'm not saying glorify these things, but they're worth remembering. Because as Christians, we can quickly become numb to the things that is go- that are going in our lives because we have Jesus. We have the good. We have hope. Sometimes we need to take a step back and remember what it would be like. And if some of you guys that have been serving Jesus have known Jesus since you were really long, young, it might be harder for you to do than others, but to look back and, and remember. Look back at what our life would be like without Jesus. And again, not to glorify the pain, but just to remember it. And so while going through this journey, writing this sermon, and basically I'm just giving you an illustration of the thought process that I went through in order to write this sermon. I realize this is so important for me to remember because now I would take my worst days with Jesus over my best days back then I would take the day my dad died over the best day back then I would take the day my mom died over my best day back then because through the pain and the loss there's still hope and back there there was no hope there was no future there was no direction And so now, remembering what was going on back then, remembering my life, remembering the hardship, now I can take a step back and I can go back to what I was writing before, the Sunday school answers, and I can say that through this pain and this hardship, Jesus still chose me. That while I was standing in jail, Jesus chose me. While I was black out drunk five days a week, that He still chose me. That in the midst of my worst decisions, Jesus still chose to die for me. That Jesus felt like I was worth dying for. And then the full impact of that Sunday school answer begins to have a little bit more weight. So, if you guys have your Bibles, turn to John 13. If you don't, it'll be on the screen. No pressure. John 13, starting in verse 2. We'll be there for a little bit. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet. "'drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. "'He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, "'Lord, are you going to wash my feet?' "'Jesus replied, "'You do not realize what I am doing, "'but later you will understand.' "'No,' said Peter, "'you shall never wash my feet.' "'Jesus answered, "'Unless I wash you, "'you have no part with me.' "'Then, Lord,' Simon Peter replied, "'not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well.' "'Jesus answered, "'Those who have had a bath "'need only to wash their feet. "'Their whole body is clean, and you are clean.' though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him, and that was why he had said, not everyone was clean. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. And Jesus goes on to explain that we should model ourselves after his example. But this passage tells me everything I need to know about the biblical account of Jesus. Now, obviously, there's a lot more to Jesus than this one little passage, but this one little passage tells us a lot. The first thing that it tells us is that even as Jesus was their mentor, their leader, and their God, He still served them. That's powerful. He served those who were quote-unquote under Him, those who were beneath Him. That means Jesus didn't treat these guys as though they were less than Him. Even though, I mean, He's God. Like if you were God, you could easily treat the people around you as less than you. And nobody would even bat an eye. But Jesus walked among us and He showed us how to model ourselves so that we can love properly. And that's what Jesus is modeling here. The next thing that we can see from this is that based off of this piece of Scripture, we know that Jesus knew that Judas was going to hand him over. That tells us that we know Jesus knew he was going to be killed. And at that moment, he had plenty of time he could have escaped. So that tells us that Jesus knew he was going to be murdered and he was willing to face it. That's pretty powerful. Because prior to this, Jesus escaped captivity. He escaped all kinds of things. But at this moment, He knew what was going to happen and He willingly went. And the Last thing is, Jesus knew that Judas had handed Him over to be brutally murdered. He knew. He pointed it out. He straight up tells them, one of you is not clean. One of you has decided to betray Me. He knew that He had betrayed Him already. And yet He still washed His feet. Jesus was on the verge of death, the verge of torture, the verge of being murdered, and He chose to wash His disciples' feet. But not only did He choose to wash His disciples' feet, He chose to wash the disciples' feet who had betrayed Him. If you knew that when you left this room, you were going to be tortured and killed, and you knew one of the people in here had done it, would you serve them and wash their feet? That's who Jesus is. Because even though Judas had completely betrayed Him, up until the very last second, Jesus was still giving Him the opportunity to come back. He was still giving Him the opportunity to be clean. That's who Jesus is. Because if Jesus can forgive Judas for what He did to him, then I think it doesn't matter what I've done. It doesn't matter what I struggled with. Jesus can take the the innermost darkest piece of us, that little piece of information that we hide deep down that we don't want those around us to know. He can see that and He still chooses you. And He still forgives you he still loves you. So to bring this home, go ahead and go to the next slide. I took a few pictures from the next slide. There you go. I took a few pictures from shortly after I gave my life to Christ. This is within a few months, most of these pictures. You can completely see the difference. Go back previous. Look at my eyes. Look at look at my my Look at me. Let me go to the next slide. I feel like these pictures do a better job than all of the words that I've said tonight to show you who Jesus is to me. Because from the day that I said yes to Jesus, from that moment going forward, things in my life began to make more sense. My hardest days had hope. Like I said, I've lost my mom and my dad recently within the last five years. My dad just within the last few months. And those moments, though they were dark and hard, there is hope. My wife almost died twice since we've been married. And happened to look at her in the hospital dying. There was still hope. That hope wasn't there before. That hope didn't exist before Jesus. And if I could tell you how that my countenance changed, I was just simply able to feel. I was able to feel happiness. I was able to feel joy. I was able to feel sadness. My life wasn't masked over with whatever was going on before. In Matthew 20, it says that Jesus came not to be served, but to serve and to give His life as ransom for many. And the humility that Jesus expressed in His act of washing their feet was a direct foreshadowing of His ultimate humility and sacrifice on the cross. That's Jesus. That's my God. That's my King. That's my Savior. I know that His love is limitless. And I know that He cares for you as much as He cared for me. And I know that as you guide yourself toward Jesus, and now I can say that it hasn't just been easy and everything hasn't just made sense since then, because I've told you there's been hardship. There's been toughness. Gosh, there has been some... The hardest seasons of my life probably came after I found Jesus. But yet through that hardship, there was always hope. There was always a future. There was always joy. There was always something to look forward to. There was always peace. And so my question for you tonight, if you're going to deconstruct Jesus and you were to look at Jesus of Scripture, you were to look at Jesus historically, and you were to look at my testimony of who Jesus was in my life, I have a question for you. Is this the Jesus that you know? Is Jesus the all-loving God? Is He the One who chooses you? Is He the One who looks after you? Is He the One who gives you hope? Is He the One who makes the world make sense? Is that your God? And if it's not, what I'm going to ask you to do is I want you to take a step back and I want you to take off all of the, the wrong versions of Jesus that you might have. Because over the years, we begin to piece hurts on jesus we begin to piece hardships on jesus sometimes we begin to to piece what christians have done to us onto jesus's shoulders but that's not who jesus is that's mankind that's us that's the world we live in that's the dark world full of sin that we live in jesus at his core the biblical version of jesus is pure and true and he loves you more than you can even fathom So I want you to take a step back, and as I asked you before, close your eyes, take a second, ask yourself, is this the Jesus that you know? We're going to have an opportunity for you guys to respond. We're going to have an altar call. But before that, I want to give you guys a chance to, to really take this in. I want to give you a few minutes to really sit on this sermon. I want you to really think about Jesus dying on the cross for you. Because if it was just you and you were the only person on earth who would give your life to Christ, who would accept Jesus as your Savior, He would have still gone to the cross for you. Is that the Jesus you know? Let's take a second. Really think about it. Really contemplate. Is that the Jesus that you know? Keep your eyes closed. Tonight, I, I think there's a few of you guys that, that maybe this was the Jesus you did know. Maybe you knew Jesus the same way that, that I did. But some crap happened. Hardship happened. Hurts happened. Maybe there was some confusion as to why God would allow these things to happen. And you began to lump that onto who Jesus is. And you began to allow Jesus to be tarnished. And if that's you tonight, I just want to say to you that I am so sorry. Whatever happened to you, it sucks it's not fair i'm not trying to say that what happened to you was supposed to happen i'm not saying what happened to you was worth it i'm saying that it sucked but i want to challenge you to take off that hurt Take it off of your shoulders. Hand it over to God with an open fist and allow Him to take it. And tonight, I want to challenge you to start fresh and allow Jesus to repaint who He is in your life. Allow Jesus to retell you and re-show you who He is in your life and who He really is. And to let those hurts go. And I feel like some of you guys are in here You don't really know. But you can tangibly see the difference that Jesus has made in my life. And at least a little part of you is curious if Jesus is really real and if He can really change your life the way that He changed mine. And I just want to challenge you. Talk to Jesus. Give Him the opportunity One of my prayers early on when I first started coming to Chi Alpha was, Jesus, if this is really you and you're really real, show me. Some of you guys need to make that your prayer. Give it over to God. I feel like there's a couple of you that when you look at Jesus, deep down you can really say that The Jesus that I'm showing you is not the same Jesus that you knew. For whatever reason, maybe it was from church hurt, maybe it was from loved ones hurt. And if that's you, I want to tell you, (laughs) you can start fresh tonight. There's no shame. That's the beauty of Jesus is that no matter what happens, He forgives us and we can start fresh and we can look to Him. I feel like there's someone here tonight that You know. You know deep down that Jesus is real. That He really is who He says He is. But you're afraid that serving Him is going to take away the fun in life. You're afraid that it's going to make you give up on some things that you want to do. (laughs) And that's... Someone who can stand before You and tell You that I did everything that I wanted to do. And it was not what I thought it was. Tonight's the chance for you to embrace Jesus. Embrace that relationship with Him. So everybody, keep your eyes closed. If you were that person, if any of those scenarios that I just brought up were you, any one of them, just ask you to raise your hand. You can put your hands up. And the last one is. The reason I want to do this separate is because it's beautiful. If tonight you walked in here as the, the previous me, if you walked in here without hope, if you walked in here lost, if you walked in here stuck in your own head, thinking the same things I thought. Why am I feeling so alone even though I'm surrounded by people? Why is this so hard? Why does it hurt so much? And you haven't had a relationship with Jesus. And tonight, you want to give Jesus the opportunity to show you that He's real. Say, I'm going to give God a chance. I'm going to give Jesus a chance. If that's you, I want to ask you to raise your hand tonight. guys can put your hands down. So what we're going to do is I'm going to guide you in prayer. And I'm going to guide all of you who raised your hands in prayer, all of you. There was quite a few of you who raised your hands tonight. I'm guiding all of you. So what I'm doing is I'm trying to help guide you in this prayer, but you've got to make this prayer your own. And what happened tonight is God showed you a doorway. He showed you the door. By you raising your hand and acknowledging, you see that door, it was a first step towards that threshold and through that threshold. What comes after that is a pursuit of Jesus. What comes after that is the next steps. The steps that come after. Those steps are things like reading your Bible. Those steps are like praying to God. Before you go to bed tonight, spend a little time, talk to Him. Those next steps are coming to Kai Alpha, coming to small group meeting up with a small group leader, all of those things are steps. All of those are ways in which we can grow closer to Jesus. This prayer isn't a a once-all be-all and go on your merry way. It's that first step. So what I'm going to ask you to do is I'm going to ask everybody to repeat after me. I know that can take a little bit of authenticity out of it. But in your hearts, you know, you already raised your hands. You already made this real. This just kind of solidifies you. So I'm going to ask all of you to repeat after me, okay? And I want it to be loud. Jesus. Louder than that. Jesus. I give myself to you. I acknowledge what you're doing tonight. Thank you. Tonight I give myself to you. I'm giving you the opportunity to show me you're real. Help me. Help me to feel your love. Help me to grow closer to you. I want to know you more. Tonight I give my life to you. You're my Lord and Savior. Amen. Before we finish tonight, those of you guys that raised your hands, I just want to thank you. Even though all the eyes are closed and everybody's not looking, thank you for being real. Thank you for being honest in a world where we mask our feelings, we need more of that. We need more of that honesty, more of that reality. Lord, we thank You for tonight, and we thank You for each and every single one of these students. I thank You for what You're doing in here. Lord, I pray that every single student that raised their hand for the various needs, Lord, I pray that those needs would be met. Lord, I pray that those students would feel Your hope, would feel Your love. God, I pray that by the time they walk through those doors tonight, they feel closer to You than they've ever felt before. And I pray that You would meet them in their rooms, in their dorm rooms. That You would meet them in their classrooms. That You would meet them in the cafeteria. That You would meet them at at practice. That You'd meet them at work, Lord. That You would begin to show them Your love. That You would begin to make it real in their hearts. And Lord, I pray that You would make Yourself and show Yourself to be more real than they could even fathom You could be. I pray that they could feel your presence when they go about their lives. And that they would not forget what they felt in here tonight. That they would not forget what you were doing in their lives. And so, Lord, I give every single one of these students over to you for your will to be done in their life. I pray protection over them from any attacks of the enemy. He would want to come in and steal what happened tonight and say it wasn't really real. No, what you felt tonight and those emotions you felt tonight, they're real. That feeling you feel right now, that Jesus, He's real. Gosh. This is the most real thing you've probably ever felt. That's really real. And it can change your life if you let it. And so, Lord, I pray that You would protect them from any attacks of the enemy. I pray that You would guide them and direct them and help them to get closer to You throughout this week. And Lord, by the time they come back to Caiapha next week, that they would already begin to show the countenance change from my before and after pictures. That there would be a new joy, a new passion within their lives, a new fire, a new hope in You and what You're doing in their life. I pray a freshness in their life. Lord, I thank you for each and every one of them, and it is in your name we pray. Amen.